So, uh, welcome. How's everyone doing? Good. I, I feel like I have to be super energetic because of the uh, daylight savings time. For those of you that are new, my name is Prentice. I'm the pastor here. Uh, and we're so glad uh, that you were able to make it. Uh, so good morning to you. I also want to say uh, good morning to those that aren't here uh, because they were sleeping in, uh, but will be listening to this sermon uh, probably midweek. Uh, when it gets posted online. So to you, good morning, and we forgive you as a community for not being here uh, with us today. Uh, But we're here and we continue uh, the sermon series called uh, just 23. It's called 23. Uh, And it stands for Psalms 23, and I don't expect everyone to know it, but in this Christian bubble world, uh, we see this as one of the most famous uh, verses that the Bible has to offer. Uh, and it's, it says, and simply, uh, the verses that we're most familiar with is probably this. Uh, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I'll fear no evil. Or uh, a lot of people use the King James Version, and it says, as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And so uh, I don't know if you've been around the church or if you've read the Bible and the Psalms or whatever it is, you've probably heard that phrase before. I mean, even it's in our pop culture, in our in our music, right? As I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I take a look at my life and I realize, okay. That's Coolio for those of you that are around my age-ish. For the rest of you, you're missing out. Uh, but all that to say is that these verses uh, are very familiar to us, and I'm so excited that we get a chance to jump in and see what God really has to say uh, through these verses. And today we're going to focus simply on verse 3. And the word of the Lord says this, He restores my soul. He leads me in the right paths for his name's sake. And so what we gather just from this one verse is this. Well, it shows what does God do? Well, God restores our soul. Well, how does God restore our soul? God leads us into right paths. Well, then what is the result of our souls being restored and being led into the right path? The result is he shines through us. We make his name great. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. He restores us, leads us, and shines through us. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that you've called us here in the morning, an hour earlier uh, than usual. So God, give us excitement, give us joy to be here, not just to be here in community, but to hear from you. God, that this Sunday wouldn't just be a Sunday routine where we go to church, listen, and then go home, but we truly believe that there's transformation to be taking place right here, right now. We thank you for the work that you do. In your name we pray, amen, amen. A few years ago, uh, before I was a pastor at Bethany, uh, I was a pastor on the east side in uh, Bellevue, where we used to meet at uh, the big theater by Bellevue Square. Uh, And as you would imagine, in our church, it used to be this, and it kind of is, uh, meeting at a movie theater, it it was like a set-up and tear-down church, where we would show up every morning, we would set up, we would meet in different theaters, 
Like we would have the big theater uh, and talk about comfy chairs, uh, especially at Lincoln Square Cinema. Uh, we would sit down and, and we would do church and then we would rent out like three or four other theaters where there were kids' classrooms going on simultaneously. Uh, it, it was a unique uh, opportunity for us to do church as a church plant, uh, and it's still there. We'll actually move to the high school, but uh, it, it was an incredible place to do ministry. And, and what was different about that experience being, even though a set-up and tear-down church, is that even though we were meeting in the mornings for church, the movie theater was still open. And, and so, uh, so many times where I'd be at the door or, you know, greeting people, and they would say, hey, is this... Spider-Man? Like, no, this is church, but you're welcome to come to church instead. They say, no, thank you. That's okay. Maybe next time. And so what was cool is we got to see people not just from our church, but through our community. And I remember this one time, there was a, there was a big movie. This was several years ago. I don't know. I think it was one of the Iron Mans. And I don't know. It's one of those movies where people would show up like hours early and line up just to make sure that they can get into uh, the movie. And so here I was, well, our whole team setting up the chairs, setting up the coffee, uh, and we're ready to do church. And then on the corner of my eye, I see a friend from high school lined up to, to go to the movies. I, again, I think it was Iron Man or one of the movies. And I, and I remember like, okay, how do I know him? I mean, I, I remember him in high school, and I thought, oh, man, he, he was one of the Christian kids. Like, he was one of those youth group church kids, and and. Long story short, I was not. Uh, as a matter of fact, a lot of my behaviors and attitudes and the way I treated people shamefully was probably antithetical to that. And, and so knowing that, I didn't really want to acknowledge him, probably out of a little bit of shame and embarrassment. And I was like, okay, well, I remember him to be the church kid. He went to church. He was good. He went to youth group. You know, I'm going to try to you know, set up this coffee. I'm going to greet people where he doesn't see me. And then he recognized me too. Uh, and he was like, Prentice, Prentice. And and ultimately, I couldn't ignore him. Finally, I turned around. Oh, it was Ben. I was like, oh, Ben, didn't see you. Hey. And he said, hey, remember me from high school? And I was like, yes, I remember you. So, you know, we caught her for a second. And he said, what are you doing here? And I said, well, you know, I'm at a movie theater. And I was like, you know, and I tried to ignore the question. I said, well, what are you doing here at a movie theater? Well, he's like, I'm here to watch a movie. How about you? And I said, well, you know what? I, funny thing. Uh, I know we haven't seen each other in a long time, but uh, I'm here to go to church. And, and I kid you not, I still remember his facial expression. He started laughing. And, and he, lit, he, he thought I was joking. He's like, no, so Iron Man? No, no, seriously, I'm, I'm here to go to church. Like, see that theater and that theater over there? Like, I, I go to this church, uh, and so that's why I'm here this morning. And he was like, really? You go to church now? And I had to fess up because I felt like I was keeping something from him. And I said, yeah, you know, funnier story. Not only do I go to church, uh, but I'm one of the pastors here. And he started laughing again. And he said, that's amazing. And I'll never forget this. He said, that's a miracle. <laughs> and and I, a miracle. And so after I was uh, thoroughly offended, uh, I was thinking about that. I mean, that kind of haunted me throughout the day. And I thought, yeah, Ben was right. That is a miracle. That was a miracle. Uh, you know, I look at my life uh, in the life that I lived and, and see the transformation from here to here from a place where I was antithetical to faith and Christianity to a movement 
to being a pastor, to serving, you know, giving my life to vocational ministry, I can only give credit to the power of God. And, And I thought to myself, yes, that is a miracle. That is absolutely a miracle. And I agreed with him that God would transform my life so much that I would commit the rest of my life to serving him in vocational ministry. And if anybody were to see that, especially as Ben saw that, that would be nothing but a testimony, a story of how faithful God is. Man, God is faithful. And it's through that brief and accidental interaction Uh, What made that so powerful was that Ben and others witnessed a a miraculous, as he would even say, a miracle, a miraculous transformation, again, that could only be credited to God. That is the power of God. And, And as we look into Psalms 23, we get a glimpse into David's life as he writes this psalm. And oftentimes we think of David as as this big-time hero, which, biblically speaking, he is. I mean, he was a guy that stepped up to to defeat the giant Goliath when no one else would. He had faith to believe that God was going to do something in that battle. He was the one that was deemed as a man after God's own heart. He was the king over Israel. I mean, this guy on paper was a hero. And when we hear about stories of David, especially in your childhood, in your Sunday schools, or, or maybe even today, we see David as this person that's elevated as this man that was perfect, pretty much. But let's not forget, David had a dark side to him. David committed adultery with Bathsheba. David lied. David had someone murdered. David wasn't perfect. In fact, he was, he was far from it. And yet, at the end of David's story, at the end of David's life, the, the transformation that people were able to witness, were able to witness and look and see, that is the power of God. And it's only through the power of God that David, who was once an adulterer, a killer, ends up being a king and a man after God's own heart. That is the power of God. And the transformation that God offers all of us you, me, the, our church, our community. And if there's anything that we can learn from David today, it's this. And many of us need to hear it, including myself. We need to hear this loud and clear that God has not, God will not ever give up on you. And it's this that tells the story of the risen Christ. I was preparing for this message, and I was saying, all right, God, you know, what, what, what do you have for me? What do you want me to teach? And oftentimes, I want to get real profound, and I want to share with you, you know, incredible messages uh, that God has to say and, and, you know, give you the original language, and I want to, you know, make sure that you understand the scriptures and all that. But I, this whole week, I just simply hear God saying to me, tell the people, tell your friends, tell yourself Simply, that I will not give up on you. And, and, and you know, now I was thinking, I was like, well, that's so simple and so easy. And yet I felt so convicted for, for me to share that God was saying, God will never, has never, and will never give up on you. 
And I've experienced this throughout my life where, you know, if I was just thinking about who I was in high school and who Ben thought I was, God could have just left me there. And yet God pursued me relentlessly and did not give up on me. We see the life of David where David was a killer, murderer, adulterer. God could have left him there, but yet God brought him out of that and said, you are a man after my own heart. And so if there's anything for us to take away today, it's so simple. And it's for us to believe that God is not finished and God will never, ever give up on you. Then we get to Psalms 23, verse 3. It says, well, what does God do? It says, first of all, God restores my soul, is what David says. Restore in this uh, the way that the Bible uses it, the way that David uses it, is this Hebrew word, sub, which means to return. And so when David talks about, okay, uh, God, you restore my soul. Well, what does it mean to restore? There's so many definitions of restore. And what David is saying is, God, what you are doing is you're making my soul return. This idea of sub is not just refreshness, although freshness and revitalization, yes, restoration, that's all part of that. But the point of restoration, how God restores somebody through the word sub, is this actual uh, turning around and going towards the original state. So it's not just this movement, uh, but it's returning to what once was. And so God is, what David is saying is, God, you restore my soul. You cause my soul, which has run away, to come back to its original place, Sub, to return. Well, well then what, what's this idea of soul? And I know theologically and biblically and philosophically, we could talk about the soul all day long. But here's the idea. Here's the big idea is that soul means something that gives us life. It's this Hebrew word, nefesh. And when we look at the, all of the Old Testament, we see nefesh, life, all throughout the Old Testament, especially in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. It says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust uh, of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Living being, again, the same word, nefesh. And so we connect the dots here where David is saying, God, you restore my soul. You make my soul the very thing that gives me life, the life that you breathed into me, the way that you want my life to be, the way that you created me to be. Even though I walked away from it, even though I ran away from it, even though I ignored it or neglected it or whatever it is, God restores us. God grabs us and says, turn around, go back to the way that I intended you to live and to be and to be created. See, a lot of us, including myself, we, we do that. We run away from exactly the way God calls us to live. God says from the very beginning, you are to be image bearers. I made you and I created you to bear my image, man and woman, to bear my image, to love, to pursue justice, to forgive, to be agents of reconciliation, to heal. And yet somewhere along the way, We've lost track of, that, track of that. And we consciously or subconsciously run away from that starting point, the place where God gives us life. God gives all of us life. Nefesh. God breathes life into us. 
to live in the state that God has created us to be. And yet in that center where God has created us to be, to live, we walk away. We walk away. And we oftentimes search for life. We search for nefesh and the things that we were never meant to find life in. So in search of life, nefesh, we run towards upward mobility, relationships, sex, addiction, money, fame, whatever it is, promotions, increasing the dollar amounts in your retirement, having the fanciest house, having the nicest car. We run to different things in order to find life only to be disappointed because life, true life, nefesh, only comes from the breath of God. Yet we find it in the breath of something else. And the invitation that God is saying is, I want to help you return. You, you, you've gone away, you can call it whatever you want, you've gone away from the center, this place that he has created us to be and to live. We've walked away because of our pursuit of life somewhere else, and God is saying, that's not where you're going to find it. Where is that place that you think you find life? I know I can have a whole list of the places that I think I find life. And, and the bad news, and really the good news is, that's going to be disappointing, And God is saying, I want to restore, I want to bring you back to the place where you really find life, nefesh. And so the question is, where do you you find, where do you think you find life? Because God is asking us to return from running away. Then we feel a sense of peace. We 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 feel a sense of uh, of wholeness. I remember when I was eleven years old, my family and I we went to uh, take a trip to a family trip to Korea. Uh, And you know, I was eleven years old. I wasn't really sure where exactly we were. Uh, I later found out that the neighborhood that I was at, where my family lived to this day, was a city or neighborhood in Seoul called Gangnam. Does that sound familiar? I won't dance for you, but the Gangnam style? No? Somebody? Okay, well, I was going to insert another joke, but I'm just going to delete that because you guys don't know of that song. Uh, <laughs> maybe I'll do the dance for you. Maybe you'll know then. Uh, no. <laughs> so, we, so we went to go visit my family in Seoul in Korea, uh, and for whatever reason, uh, we, w- we would do like nightly walks around the neighborhood, and, and then my uncle and my family members, they would say, all right, well, that's where that person lives, and that's where this and that happened, and, and it was really cool just getting to know the, the, the neighborhood that my family was living in, and, and I remember one night, for whatever reason, I, was holding, I remember holding my mom's hand, we were walking, and, and they were teasing me. My uncle and my cousins are giving me a hard time. I'm the youngest out of all the cousins, and so they were teasing me, giving me a hard time. And I thought I had a really good idea. And the really good idea was I was going to let go of my mom's hand, which I did, and then I ran away. I ran away to teach them a lesson. 
saying, if you keep making fun of me, I'm just going to run away. I don't know what was going on in my mind. For some reason, that was pain and back. And so I ran away. And lo and behold, after some time of running around the blocks, I didn't see my family anymore. And I remember running around the neighborhood. I was actually crying. I was scared. I was anxious. Uh, you know, and I was, I was exhausted from, from running around and, and really cr- and crying. And finally, what it felt like hours to me, probably just a few minutes in reality, I finally get back to the house uh, that where my grandparents were staying. And I go inside and I see my family there. And, and for whatever reason, all my anger went away. All my, you know, anxiety and my weariness went away. And I felt at peace because I, ex- I was at home. I was exactly where I was supposed to be. And I remember that feeling, just the sense of relief when I opened that door. Everything else went away. And that story came to me because so many times, that is us. We run away from this place called home that God has called us to, and it's exhausting. And we know it, whether you are a Christian or not, whether you claim to be or identify yourself as to be a follower of Jesus or not, we understand that when we are out of our, when we are out of the way that God has created us, It's exhausting. When we try to search for life and we don't find it, it's exhausting. And again, it doesn't matter what religion you claim yourself to be. We're all on this journey to figure out what life is all about. We're all on this journey of what life means and what we're supposed to do in life. I mean, yes, the answer, I believe, is in the scriptures, but everyone else is asking the same question. Gandhi, uh, Mohammed, uh, Oprah, uh, Deepak, they're all asking the same question and trying to offer uh, uh, the answer of what's this life all about? Where do you find nefesh? Where do you find fulfillment and, and wholeness? And David is saying the way to find that is by coming back. And just like my life, just like David's life, it's not too late. And some of us, we have this mentality that, oh, it's too late. Or, or I don't even, I don't believe that God will provide. I don't believe that God will be there for me. Or maybe it's not even just ourselves, but maybe it's our circumstance. Maybe it's for somebody else. Maybe it's our children. Maybe it's family. Maybe it's whatever it is. But God has not given up. Nor will God ever give up. God restores our souls, brings us back to the place where we would receive, truly receive life. And how does he do it? God leads us, guides us in the path of righteousness. Remember, David uh, uses his analogy of shepherd and sheep. He uses all throughout the Psalms. And why does David use this analogy? Because David is so familiar with this idea of shepherd and sheep. Why? Because David was a shepherd himself. David was a shepherd boy. David understood what it required to be a shepherd. To be a shepherd, you had to uh, take care of the sheep, make sure that the sheep survived. And not only did David understand the, the idea of what it meant to be a shepherd, David understood what it meant to be a sheep. And it wasn't a surprise, and maybe it's not a surprise to us, is that sheep were considered to be dumb. I mean, sheep were vulnerable. 
I mean, without a sheep, without the care of the, uh, of the shepherd, the sheep would actually die. The sheep cannot sustain life without a shepherd. And David understood this. And David said, just like how a sheep would trust a shepherd, that is how much we as people and how he should trust God. Because he understood the deep sense of dependency the sheep has for the shepherd. The sheep trusts with no caveats, no agenda, no requirements. The sheep just trusts knowing that the shepherd will care, love, keep them alive. And as God wants to restore us to life, as we've run away, myself included, as we've run away to experience life in some other fashion or way or with other things, God wants to bring us back and guide us and lead us to that. But just like sheep, we have to trust. And there's so many of us, we have a hard time trusting. We do. I mean, we, I don't know if it's just our nature as humanity, but we're very skeptical creatures. Not only do we have a hard time trusting others, even loved ones, but we certainly have a hard time trusting God. I mean, look at our circumstances. Look at the, uh, the cards that were dealt in life. Look at, you know, uh, experiences that we've had, things that we've gotten, things that we haven't gotten. We have a hard time trust in God. And out of that skepticism, uh, we have what I would call this, uh, this if-then clause. God, if you do this, then I'll follow you. Then I'll give you my life. Then I'll trust. If you heal, then I will believe. If you provide, then I will follow. If you fix, then I will surrender. It's like we like to bargain with God. It's like, let's make a deal. Instead of being like sheep and having uttermost trust to our Savior. Just trust is what David is saying. Through the analogy of sheep and shepherd, he says that God's going to restore us, bring us back to life, which is joy, which is peace. But you have to trust and follow where God leads. And God won't let you down. That, that is the promise. That is the promise of the entire chapter of 23. That even though we walk through the shadow of death, we will fear no evil because God is with us and God will provide. And when we talk about Psalms 23, it's a reflection uh, of Psalms uh, 106 verse 7. Where, where David is telling uh, the story through the psalm saying, you know what, God will provide, God will lead you, God will guide you, and God will never let you down as God has never let you down in the past. That's what David is saying to his people. And the evidence of that, he goes back to uh, Psalm 106, he says, uh, in verse 7, he says, our ancestors, when they were in Egypt, did not consider uh, your wonderful works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled against the Most High at the Red Sea. Yet he saved them for his name's sake 
so that he might make known his mighty powers. He rebuked the Red Sea, and it became dry, and he led them through the deep as through, the, through a desert. So he, so he saved them from the hand of the foe and delivered them from the hand of the enemy. The waters covered their adversaries. Not one of them was left. Then they believed his words. They sang his praise. Throughout this Psalm of 23, uh, David uh, recalls what happened in Egypt. His declaration is that God is never going to leave you nor forsake you. God is not going to give up on you. God is not finished with you. He's going to restore you, bring you back to life by guiding you and leading you. But in order for God to lead you, you have to trust him. And in our society, in our culture of distrust, of our if-then clause, David responds to that and says, has God ever let you down? He says to his people, remember when you were in Egypt? Even in Egypt, you were rebelling, he says. Even during the exodus, you know, you were complaining, you were not following God, you you were far away from the center of where God wants you. You have drifted away. And even then, even then, David says, God opened up the seas, the red seas, for you to walk right through it. Like the song says. I didn't even know we were singing that song. God opened up the waters for these rebellious people, the people that complained and just uh, didn't care, that was apathetic, to live and to survive. And, and what David is saying is, remember that story, that is the same God that we worship today, that is the same God we worship today as a church. God will never leave you, nor forsake you. God is not finished with you. It's not too late. You haven't done too bad or or too good for that matter. God loves us and is in pursuit of us. And what's the result? Again in three it says it's for his name's sake. For God's name, to, for God's name to be great, for God to shine through us. See, God, God's not a wasteful God. What I mean by that is he takes our stories, our experiences, again, the hands that were dealt, the pain, the sorrows, the anger, And changes that and transforms that into a story that glorifies God and that reveals God's loving nature, God's power, God's sovereignty. I mean, look at the story of David, once a killer, now a man after God's own heart. I mean, shoot, look at my own story when the person laughed because there was no way I would be a pastor or even a a churchgoer for that matter. And yet God has transformed my life. And I'm sure a lot of us in this room, we've received transformation from one life to another. And it's through that transformation where we see God's power in action. And so your story is never wasted. Your story is used even more so for God's name to be great. That is what shares the story of Jesus. So here's the deal. You have to tell your story. Well, I need to tell my story. 
We all need to tell our stories of our lives. And what, what's scary about sharing our stories is that it requires a deep sense of vulnerability. And I, and I chuckle at that because I'm the worst at that. In order for us to share the story of how God has worked in our lives, how God has restored our soul, how God has led us and and loved us and never abandoned us and moved us from this life to this life, we must share that story so that story of transformation can affect and reach others. But it requires vulnerability. And, And who wants to be vulnerable? Who wants to share failures of our lives? But it's those very failures that we can look back and share how God has worked in and through that. It's through our stories that we can share a movement from from being angry to radical forgiveness. It's it's through our stories that we can show a movement from greed to generosity, from isolation uh, to hospitality, to to judgment and anger, to, to loving unconditionally. That's what it means to be a witness. When, when Paul says, uh, or actually when Luke says in Acts, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. That's exactly what, what it means to be a witness. What does it mean to be a witness? Well, you share your story. And I say this time and time again, our faith, the Christian faith, we, we do not need any more Christian lawyers. We don't need any more judges for, for Jesus. We don't need any more, we don't need that. We need witnesses. Just be a witness. Share your story. That's it. And I love in Galatians chapter 1, Paul says this, I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are, in, that are in Christ. They only heard the report, and this was the report of Paul. <clears throat> the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they praise God because of me. <clears throat> the people uh, that Paul was writing to so you know what, they don't, they don't really know me. They just knew what I was about. I was about killing Christians. And yet I moved, there was a transformation from killing Christians to preaching the gospel. For, for Paul, even he experienced a restoration of his soul. This turning away from, you know, he walked away from the, from the place that he was created and, and God wanted him to be, left that And yet God restored him, brought him back where he can experience life, nefesh. And that transformation of living this life, really horrible life, turning around, there was power in that story that revealed the loving nature and the power that God has. And and the testimony of God never giving up and always pursuing the one God loves. So share your story. It matters. Be vulnerable. Again, even though I feel like a hypocrite saying that, it's a story for me too. I need to share my story. Be vulnerable so I can expose the loving kindness 
that God has in my life. And God's been. You know, I think back when I was uh, in middle school, my parents wanted me to play every sports known to humanity. Uh, and one of the sports that my uh, mom wanted me to play was tennis. And I, I mean, if you're a tennis player, good, good for you. I, but I, I'm not a tennis player. I never was, never will be. Uh, and I remember uh, my mom connecting me with a family friend. And uh, the family friend was my age. And, he, you know, he was really good at tennis. You know, he went to state when he, ended up, when he was playing in high school. And he says, Prince, you have to use my tennis coach. If you want to get good at tennis, you have to use my tennis coach. Uh, and, you know, I was kind of skeptical. I was like, well, you know, whatever. I've never really played tennis before. And he's like, you know, you don't understand. I, I was terrible at tennis. I, like, I couldn't hit a ball. And I remember thinking, why would you say that out loud? Like, you couldn't hit a tennis ball? I mean, he was almost bragging about how awful he was at tennis. And, I, and I'm like, why are you sharing that? And maybe that's my own ego, my own pride issues that I have to wrestle with. But I remember thinking, why are you sharing with me how terrible of a tennis player you are when, in fact, you're trying to tell me to play tennis? And, and he says, but it wasn't until I met my tennis coach that I improved. And, 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 you know, he said things like, believe me, Prentice, if he can make me a tennis player, he can make you a tennis player too. And, and the whole idea of this interaction wasn't uh, that he was such a bad tennis player, was that the attention was that his tennis coach was so incredible. It showed by him revealing his failures, by him revealing uh, vulnerably how he wasn't good at tennis, how he couldn't hit a ball, how he couldn't see very well, how he wasn't very athletic even. Uh, Through that story of him sharing, he was able to highlight how skillful and how great and how talented this coach was. That's That's what told the story. And I look at that, I remember that, and my, like, that's, that can be like the Christian life. And I'm not saying be self-deprecating and say how much we suck, and that's not what I'm saying at all. But what I'm saying is, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, there was a transformation that took place one way or another. Share that story. Because what happens when we share that story, it highlights the person who caused the transformation, which has arisen Jesus, the same Jesus that we worship today, that we will worship tomorrow until we meet Jesus face to face. And as we enter or as we are in this Lent season, that, that is what we focus on, is the cross of Jesus, the work, the life, the death, and the resurrection. And when he was nailed to the cross, I'm, I'm going to invite the worship team back up right now. Uh, as, as he was nailed to the cross, the, the last words he said was, it is finished. I love that. I love that the last words he said on the cross was, it is finished. And what's finished and what's nailed to the cross is this life pre-transformation, shame, guilt, anger, pain, the need for forgiveness. It is finished. And it's through that cross that God brings us out of that place and restores our souls and brings us back to life. 
God will guide us and lead us into that place again. And what is the result? God shines through us. So share your story without shame, without guilt, because it is finished. Share the story of how God never abandoned you, how God is for you. And the reason why we have to share that is because some of us here, we're not quite there yet. We're not at the end of the story. I'm like that. There's times in my life where the story isn't quite finished. And so I need to hear it. I need to hear people's stories of transformation. Uh, Of people turning around from death back into life. And maybe that's you. Maybe you need to hear that story. My hope and prayer is that you would believe that God's not finished with you, that God has, has not given up on you. God will never leave you nor forsake you. And so in this time of response, I'll, I'll pray, but maybe in this time of response, saying, God, where, where do I find life that's outside of you? Maybe we need to be opened to the fact that we do. Or maybe the prayer during our time of response is, God, bring, bring, bring me back. God, I've, I've left. Will you restore me? Will you bring me back to life? Because where I'm finding, where I'm searching is not providing it. God, will you bring me back? And may this story, God, may the story of me coming back Share the story of your grace, of your love, of your compassion, and may people see your loving kindness. There's other ways to respond. Uh, You can pray that. We can sing. I'm going to pray in just a moment. There's connect cards. If it's not in your uh, programs, it's in the seat pocket in front of you. Uh, along with serving on March 25th, we'll also have baptisms. I mean, talk about sharing your life. Talk about sharing, here's what God has done to me and for me and through me. That's baptism. So if you've never been baptized or if you've been baptized as an infant, we believe in believer's baptism. If that's you, on your connect card, we just write your name and try baptism on on the comments and I can... You know, we'll, we'll talk to you about what that means and, and what that looks like. Again, on Saturday, we have uh, serve one day. Whereas we come back, it's like, God, how can I serve you? I don't know what it is, and maybe this is just me, but when I feel like I'm uh, suv, remember the word suv, coming back and being restored, I feel like I want to serve. When I feel so connected with, with God, I just want to give. And this isn't a shameless plug for the church because this could be anything. This could be your neighbors. This could be your, your relationships, your spouse, your friends. But if God is calling you back and you feel compelled to serve, then will you write just your name and contact him one day on the comments and we'll, we'll reach out to you? 
and then we have groups. What a great way to live life and be vulnerable and to share your story. I'll be honest, it doesn't happen on Sundays. Sundays aren't really created for that. Sundays are very corporate. Sundays are very uh, communal, and we worship together, and that's wonderful, and God blesses that. But in order for us to get depth and intimacy and sharing of our stories through vulnerability, that's through groups, doing life with people. If you're interested in that, will you just write groups on that card? And on your way out, there's a silver bucket that you can throw that in. And we'll respond to you. So I'm going to pray for us. We can sing. You can stay praying more. You can just sit. You can do whatever you need to do to just hear from God. God, thank you so much that you speak to us, that you love us, that you never give up on us. And some of us and many of us have experienced that. Many of us need to believe that. We hold on to that. And that brings us hope. And we continue to have hope. May the people surrounding us give us and and provide that hope as well through you. For those of us that are going through stuff, that have walked away, that that have left the center of where you want us to be, God, would you just bring us back to life that only you can provide? We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.